we have decided to walk through a theme for the next three weeks, and the theme is peace. And so our series is called Seek Peace. Um, there's a psalm, Psalm 34, that talks about turning away from evil, doing good, and seeking peace. And we believe that peace is one of the most um, clearest characterizations of who Jesus is, what he came to do. He was called the Prince of Peace. And so we're going to start a series today and, and you know, hopefully over the next few weeks, um, give us a sense to explore and pursue what peace looks like personally, relationally, um, also globally in our world. And then we get to celebrate Christmas together and really, you know, celebrate the Prince of Peace, Jesus, as we come to, as we come towards that. And today, as we kick off the series, we have a guest and his name is Willie Raymer. And Willie is, um, the executive director of the churches that we're a part of across Canada, the Canadian Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches. That's what it's, that's the long name. Um, we just kind of often say MBs with the kind of two middle initials. Uh, Willie, I met Willie years ago, uh, just before Westside even got started and we had lunch somewhere in Calgary, and he's been an encouragement ever since uh, to us as a church, uh, to myself and my family uh, personally, and he has a great heart, and recently in the last couple of years, he went from be- pastoring a church in Calgary, which was a church plant, which is now 20 years old, and uh, then on to, uh, to giving direction and leadership to all our churches in Canada. So he's a wonderful guy, and Willie, so glad to have you here. Why don't you come and join us and, uh, and speak into this series this morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for that introduction, Dave. It's great to be here with you. Uh, I was here a couple of years ago, got to worship with you. And the uh, West Side's been a place or uh, a, a congregation that's been on my heart since it started. As Dave said, we met years ago. And uh, so I've been praying for you. Uh, and, uh, and our church has enjoyed sort of connecting through uh, David and Frank and and, uh, and so they're always interested in what's happening here uh, with your congregation. We're a church plant, uh, and people say, well, when do you quit being a church plant? I'm not sure, uh, but we're, all, we're still in temporary facilities, so we have two campuses, one's in a, a community center, one's in a theater, and I think whenever you're um, in facilities that you don't own, you always feel like a church plant. I think that's just part of how that feels, so uh, yeah, set up and tear down was happening this morning in two different places, and uh, the same kind of things that, that happen here, uh, with the same hopes and aspirations of of leading people uh, into relationship, authentic relationship with Christ, being significant, relevant to your community, and showing the love of God uh, and the reality of that love uh, to our world. And so you have partners in Calgary uh, this morning uh, who often pray for the churches of Quebec and, and for you. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to jump uh, into this topic of peacemaking this morning. Father, I want to thank you that as we near Christmas, we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace. We celebrate the birth of the one who makes peace possible, and in our world today, that's a pretty big issue. And so I pray this morning we would gain a little better understanding of what it means to be a people of peace, to live with peace, and to be people who extend peace as well, that it wouldn't just be words we say or hopes that we hope for at this time of year, but a lived out reality that we participate in, uh, both internally and as a family uh, and as your people. And so speak into our hearts this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So you're probably all familiar with the Peanuts cartoons that have been going on for uh, decades and decades. Well, there was a conversation one day between uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy. 
And Lucy, in, in uh, the way only she can, says, I hate everything, I hate everybody, I hate the whole wild, wide world. Charlie says, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy replies, I do, but I also have outer obnoxiousness. <laughs> True inner peace should not lead to outer obnoxiousness. Right? We try and pursue peace, but, uh, but obviously we can only give away what we have. Right? I know that's an obvious statement, but sometimes we want peace to be this outer expression of who we are uh, and how we live, but yet if it's not inside of you, you actually can't give it away. And often you find out what you have in a situation that's maybe a little more pressure-packed than normal life, say driving. Like I don't know about you, but you have a, Calgary people complain about road rage on our freeways, uh, so often when we're driving, if you start getting mad at someone when you're driving, does, does the other driver create the obnoxiousness in you or does the driving just reveal what's actually in you? Right? Most pressure-packed situations actually just reveal what's in us. It doesn't create what's inside of us. It's just now there's, there's less margin in our life and so now it shows what's actually there. And so we can only give away what we have. We want to be a kinder, gentle, more loving people, and yet we can see in our world our, basically things are heading the other direction. So in this last hundred years, the world has been more violent, there has been more bloodshed than in all of history combined. Uh, we see more ethnic fighting around the world. Uh, we see more competition for resources. Uh, we see all kinds of things happening that are creating an escalating fear and tension and worry, and peace seems to be a a decreasing commodity, a shrinking commodity. And yet it's something we all want, we all hope for, and at Christmas time particularly is when we're all looking for it, and the Christmas cards all say it in some form. Uh, we We all are wishing for that. In all of society, regardless of people's faith background, there's still something about this time of year that leans us in towards peace, or we hope for it anyway. And yet we know in reality that at Christmas time there is probably more depression or manifestation of depression interpersonally than any other time of year. You have more issues with relational conflict at Christmas than probably any time of the year. More disappointment around broken family issues at Christmas than any time of the year. So you have the greatest hope, and yet often the greatest gap between that hope and, and what we experience. Author Haddon Robinson, who wrote a book called Salt and Light, said, No peace will exist between nations until peace reigns in each country. And no country will have peace until peace dwells with the people. And no people will have peace until they surrender to the Prince of Peace. Peace comes from the inside out. You can't give away what you don't have. So this morning, as the sort of the intro to your series, I want to talk about personal peace. And how that works itself out uh, relationally. So Jesus, known as the Prince of Peace, is the one who came to bring peace. The book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book that, uh, that foretells the coming of Christ in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christ's primary role on earth was to be a peacemaker. 
And the way he did that is to make it possible for there be, to be peace between us and our, and our Heavenly Father and God. To take us from being born into this world spiritually dead and to make us spiritually alive. So when you're born into this world, when I'm born into this world, I am born, you are born spiritually dead, physically alive. Positionally, we're born into this world as sinners. Now, the word sinner is often a word that someone uses in a negative context. So they'll say, well, that person is a sinner, meaning they do bad things, which is actually not the right definition of the word. A sinner actually is someone who theologically is out of relationship with Christ. Now, they may commit acts of sin, but it is actually not the behavior that makes them a sinner. It's the fact that they are spiritually dead that makes them a sinner. So when you become a Christ follower, when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my leader, my forgiver, my friend, you go from being a sinner to being a saint. So if you read through the Bible, especially the New Testament, uh, often um, Paul, who's written much of the letters to the churches, will start the books of the, that he's written to those churches and he'll always say, to the saints at, and then he'll say the name of the city. Now, he's not calling them saints because they're so good. He's not calling them saints because they behave so perfectly. He's calling them saints because positionally they accepted by faith the work of Christ on the cross on their behalf and that moved them from being a sinner positionally to being a saint. So you go from being a sinner who commits acts of sins to being a saint who unfortunately still commits acts of sin. But if the Apostle Paul was here this morning and greeting you like he does in the letters that he writes to the churches and he'd say, would all the saints please raise their hand? Every person who has given their life to Christ, regardless actually of how messed up your life may be in the moment, could still raise their hand. You don't have to think about, well, let's see, who's the, do I know it's a saint? Well, I've read about Mother Teresa, what's she done? Okay, 52 countries, okay, I'm in one country. No, I can't put up my hand. Not the point. Because your, your identity has changed. Your behavior may still have a long way to catch up. I know mine does, just... My wife's not here, so she can't prove it. But if she was here, she'd say, oh, she'd be nodding. Yes, I agree. Right? But positionally, my life has changed. Your life has changed if you are a Christ follower. So then what does it mean to live that way? What does it mean to actually be that, have that become your reality? Because now the opportunity, the peace is made between you and God. Now how does that live itself out? So Paul, writing to the church in the city of Rome, book of Romans, chapter 5, said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, we put our faith in Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf, and so he paid the price for our sins. We put our faith in that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the best way I can describe that is you can now walk into the presence of God with full confidence that he will accept you. You don't have to wonder, well, man, I did this yesterday. Is that, you know, or I said this or I thought this. He goes, no, you're my kid. <clears throat> Best example I could think of is when I was a kid, my dad was a general manager of a, of a large company. Uh, he was overseeing 800 employees. So he, he was kind of a big deal and, you know, people wanted to get in to see him and people wanted his company to buy stuff and all this stuff. As a 10-year-old, I would go into the office and, um, and, there, and then there would be, uh, you know, all these people who had appointments with him, and there'd be the receptionist, and I would just sort of walk by everybody, and I'd go walk right into his office. Why? Because he's my dad. 
And he would have a meeting, and you know, I didn't do it very often, but I'd pop in, and he would stop whatever he's doing and acknowledge me as his son because I'm his dad, or he's my dad. I didn't need to make an appointment. I didn't need to stand in line with everybody else who was making an appointment. Why? Because they're not his kid. I'm his kid. That's how we can walk with that confidence into the presence of God. Because we're his kids, as Christ followers. Because you've been, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. In the introduction, David said that we talk about uh, um, the coming of Christ and the coming back of Christ, the return of Christ. We rejoice in the hope. Of the, that's what that is, the hope of his return, when all things will be made right, when all the injustices will be taken care of, when there is no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. That's what that future hope is. So you'll never find a permanent peace in the center of your soul without a relationship with Christ. Because everything else goes from the outside in. Only this goes from the inside out. So that's step one, is making peace with Jesus. Step two is how do we then become a peacemaker? Well, here's a real simple test. If you say, well, I'm good with everybody. I'm in a really good relationship. And you can put this test into multiple contexts. If you're a student, you could do this at school. Um, if you're a parent or, or an adult, I'll use the example uh, and, you know, in our part of the world, we have lots of Safeway stores. Here you have Loblaws or Maxi stores. Or, uh, so you're going shopping. You're grocery shopping. You're doing your dude. You got your list. You got to get it done. And you're a bit of a hurry. You're, you're going through the store. And you're about to turn down an aisle. And then you see someone. And when you see that person, you look at them and go, oh, I don't think they saw me. I don't have to go down that aisle. Right? I mean, I've had that happen. Like, did I get, oh, no, I'm good. I didn't have to acknowledge them. So why did I have that guttural response? Well, because there's something between me and them. If you're in school and you walk down a hallway or into the library and down, a, down an aisle in the library and you look and you go, oh, it's just me and that person. I don't want to talk to that person. Oop, other way. They didn't see me. I'm good. That immediately tells you you have a relationship to take care of. As soon as your gut goes, nope, don't want to see them. Don't want to talk to them. You know, you came to church and there's somebody here and you're going, well, where are they sitting? I'm on the other side. Hope I don't run into the bathroom. That's way too awkward. That tells you immediately. See, because it's our heart that tells us first before our head tells us. If we're at issue with somebody. If we have something to, something to be reconciled. And God wants us to live at peace with all people. The Bible regularly talks about that to be people who live at peace with one another, particularly in the faith family, but he calls us in society actually to live at peace uh, with one another. Now we can all learn to be, super, to be superficial, to sort of just you know, get along, to be civil. We can be peacekeepers. A peacekeeper is someone who just doesn't say anything just for the sake of let's not stir up the pot here in any way, shape, or form. A peacemaker is actually someone who goes through the difficulty of healing and reconciliation so that you actually have true peace. Those are two very different things. I think Canadians are much better at peacekeeping than peacemaking, right? Because we're so nice. That's our, that's our national, one of our national traits. I still remember when the first World Series was in Toronto, I was reading Sports Illustrated, and uh, so it was a guide to Americans who were coming up to, uh, to the World Series. 
And I, the, one of the lines I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, was um, they said, you'll know you're with a Canadian when, you're, when you've cut in line and stepped on their toes to do it and they apologize to you. <laughs> so then you know you've cut in front of a Canadian. Right? That, that's part of who we are. That's peacekeeping. That's not peacemaking. <clears throat> Those are very, <clears throat> excuse me, those are very different things. Jesus had peace as a priority. But he told us to pursue peace. And here's what he did. In Matthew chapter 5, he's teaching. And then he says this. So if you're about to place your gift on the altar, so it's a Jewish context, he's talking to Jews, they do sacrifices that they have to do regularly, and they would bring gifts to the altar to sacrifice. A dove, or depending on how wealthy they were, maybe a cow, a goat. Um, and, uh, And he says, if you're about to place your gift on the altar... And remember, someone is angry with you. Okay, it doesn't say remember that you are angry at someone. Remember that someone is angry with you. Leave your gift in front of the altar, make peace with that person, and then come back and offer your gift. Obviously, for Jesus, this was a very high priority. Because these were very religious people. They were very legalistic people because they're trying to follow all the Old Testament laws. And he's saying, interrupt your religious ceremony to go make right your relationships. Interrupt that which is most important to you in your religious world to go fix your relationships. That's what he's telling them to do. So obviously this is really important to him. And he's saying, not if you're mad at somebody, but if you remember someone is mad at you. You might not even be mad at them. You could care less if they're mad at you. He's saying, but if you remember that they are, then I want you to go deal with it. That's what I want you to do. So about two years ago, I was in a prayer meeting in a church I was visiting. And in that prayer meeting, uh, part of the prayer meeting, they said, okay, we want you to uh, take some time and just ask God if there's anything you need to repent of. Like just on your own. Just ask the Spirit to appoint things out to you. Okay, I do that. And then he said, I want you to turn to the person beside you. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and um, turn to the person beside you and talk about what the Lord laid on your heart. So it's funny. I, so I went, uh, so I'm praying and I go, oh, shoot, I know what it is. I got to go talk to my sister. She's got something against me. And we don't live, we haven't lived in the same city for uh, 25 years. Uh, but I happened to be uh, in the same city that week. So I said to the guy beside me, uh, as we're chatting, I said, I got to go talk to my sister. The Lord showed me there's something up that I need to go deal with. Then he says to me, yeah, I got to go deal with my (laughs) sister-in-law. The Lord showed me there's something. (laughs) So we prayed for each other. I called up my sister and we had coffee in the next two days. And I mean, one meeting doesn't fix everything, but we hadn't talked for probably a year, year and a half, because we had a blow up. And the Lord just said, and I didn't think it was my fault, frankly, but we all say that. But he just said, it's time to call. It's time to call. A couple of years ago, I had another one where uh, uh, there was a conflict that happened. um, And I was actually, I was reading this passage in my devotions, in my time with God. And God said, here's the name, Go. It's like, oh, shoot. I was living, I'm in Calgary. I had to get on a plane and go to Toronto (laughs) to go do it and follow it up. 
But I knew I wouldn't rest until I was faithful to what I was supposed to do. See, he calls us to take initiative. But he does more than that. In the next chapter of Matthew, Matthew Matthew chapter 6, you have the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, um, it says this, Jesus says this, For if you forgive men, forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So he takes them from both sides. Both where you you take initiative and where you respond to people who need forgiveness from you. Like he doesn't leave us any wiggle room. There is no place in Jesus' teaching for self-justification on forgiveness where you get off the hook. I've looked, trust me. I haven't found it. He says, either way, whatever the story is, I'm calling you to be a peacemaker. Because I forgave your sins. And so you do not have the right to hold it against anyone. You're going, well, wait a minute. You know what they did to me? And I wish I had the time this morning to actually give you a whole message on forgiveness. Because forgiveness is one of the biggest issues people face in life. You will get hurt. You will be like those parts of life. I can guarantee you that's not a question. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Will you build a prison for yourself or will you forgive? When I became a Christ follower, one of the great gifts that God gave me was uh, he gave me the freedom to forgive my, who's now my person who's my ex-brother-in-law, who sexually abused me when I was a little kid. And when I became a Christ follower at 18 years old, uh, the the seething anger that I had against this individual left me. And actually, even though this person never asked me for forgiveness, uh, but the Lord gave me the freedom to forgive them. And how they took it really was irrelevant for me. It was I had to be faithful to what God had called me to do. And it gave me incredible freedom to just live life and to be what God called me to be. It was an amazing gift. But I knew that I could not hang on to it. I could not hang on to it because of what God had done in my heart. See, the Bible tells us when the Holy Spirit uh, is working within us, One of the results that we experience is peace with God, and then we can have peace within ourselves and peace with others. Jesus in John chapter 14, again, talking about peace. Verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So what does peace mean? Not just interpersonally. But he says, be at peace in the world. His world was a very conflicted world, especially speaking to a Jewish audience under Roman rule. He says, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be afraid. You think about what's our world today. We're anxious. We're afraid. We're worried about what's happening with refugees. What kind of refugees are going to come to Canada? Well, if anyone should be ministering to the refugee world, it's Christ followers. It's us. Our eternity is secure. Our present reality is filled with the presence of Christ. We know who our identity is. What does a refugee need more than anything? It's Christ. The transforming reality of the gospel. And they need practical help as well, obviously. But that's what Jesus wants to do. As one author said, when you don't forgive people, you're allowing them to live rent-free in your mind and in your heart. Think about that. 
Someone who lives, you haven't talked to maybe for years, but you're bitter against them, and they preoccupy your thoughts. They're living rent-free in your mind. They're taking up space and time and energy. It's not costing them anything. It's costing you everything. Jesus says, I want you to be free from that. Then he also calls us to have peace with God, peace with each other, but then he calls us to be peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Isn't that interesting? Peacemakers will be called sons of God. Well, what does that mean? Our ability to deal with other people, and maybe particularly to deal with our enemies, is the paternity test of who our father is. You get that? It's the paternity test of who our father is. Why? Because how we live out being peacemakers reflects whose family we're in, whose values we live by, where where our identity is, and, and how we are living that out. We are reflecting the reality of our father is. And you know who your father is by how you treat your enemies. How you treat those who ask for forgiveness, how you treat those who you have something against. You know, I love it when, when people say that my boys look just like me. And, uh, and my boys, I should have put a picture up, they look just like me. Especially my youngest one. He is like, to his chagrin, he has to deal with it. Uh, he's got the same hair I do. It's basically styled the same way mine is. We both wear similar glasses. We're the same height, same weight. Like, if anyone tries to kidnap him and say he's not my kid, like, good luck. Never sell. Um, but, it, you know, as a dad, you're always proud when someone says, oh, your kids look just like you. And when my kids were younger, particularly, all three of them, all three boys, everyone would say they look just like me, much to my wife's chagrin. Now at least my oldest one is starting to look like her, so she's got some, you know, family resemblance going. But, you know, when your kids do stuff and... Uh, and they behave in ways that, that you go, that's, that's, you're, you're showing our identity, our family values. My last name is Reimer, so every now and then when they were growing up and they would do something that betrayed our values, I, would, I wouldn't say you did something bad. I would say you're not behaving very Reimerly. Right? You're, not, you're betraying our family values, what's important to us. God wants us to behave like his kids. And how we behave reflects who our father is. And so he calls us to be peacemakers. So what's a peacemaker? True peace is not simply the absence of conflict. Uh, true, true peace is not simply enemies not fighting. I mean, that's truce, but it's not peace. So true peace actually means walking through the difficulties to rebuild relationships and trust so that you can walk forward and say we're good. We're good. It also may mean doing some very difficult things. It may mean having some very hard conversations. It means putting someone's well-being above your comfort. So people often say to me, well, you know, my friend has this issue. Okay, you're going to talk to them? Well, I don't want to make them feel bad. But really, when I hear that, I'm thinking, well... Actually, I don't think it's that you don't want to make them feel bad. It's that you don't want to be there when they feel bad because then you'll feel bad. So actually, you don't want to feel bad. See, peacekeepers actually are selfish. 
because we don't want to feel bad. Peacemakers say, I care more about the other person and their well-being than I do about my comfort. So I'm willing to do the hard thing. Look at the life of Christ. Most simple example. right? Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, that's amazing. Only God could have told you that. And then within half an hour, Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. Peter says, no, that's wrong. You're wrong. And then Jesus, of course, says one of that famous line, uh, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Going, well, that's not very nice. And half an hour ago, you just said Peter was saying the greatest things ever. Jesus was more interested in Peter knowing truth and the people knowing truth and walking in relationship properly than he was in making Peter feel good. And you know that because after Peter denied Jesus three times, uh, Peter or Jesus went to Peter then to restore him fully and deeply and then, of course, used him profoundly and said, this is Peter on whom I will build the church. Right? That's what he did for that to work. Um, so the truth part is what he really wants us to understand. It's my alarm that tells me I have to wrap up. But peacemaking is not easy. Peacemaking is hard. A peacemaker is one who actually discovers the origin of a conflict, finds a way to resolve it, helps parties to restore proper loving relationship. It applies to individuals, it applies to nations. But going back to what I said at the beginning, you can't give away what you don't have. You can help things move along without Christ, but Christ wants you to give away that inner reality which is possible because of your relationship with him. And then to live that out as you make things right, as you leave your gift at the altar, to say, Jesus laid this person on my heart. I need to go make this right. As you forgive because God forgave you. Not because the other person deserves it. Not even because they asked for it. I mean, it's really nice when they do. But forgiving others is not... Uh, one great definition that I read one day about forgiveness is, is forfeiting or giving up the justice that you feel is rightfully yours. And, say, and saying, God, this is your problem, not my problem now. I'm giving this to you. Because when we come to Christ, we are really saying, God, take my anxiousness, take my worry, take my anger, take my, my justice issues, and I'm giving them to you. And really, we're going to take communion in a few minutes. That's really what this table is about. So when you come to the communion table, really what you're doing uh, is you are declaring your relationship with God. What you're saying when you take the bread and the juice, you're saying, God, I recognize that I needed your forgiveness. And by taking these elements, I am accepting and putting my faith in Christ and what he did for me on the cross. That's what participating in communion is. It's not just a ceremony. It's a renewal of the reality of what Jesus did and saying, yes, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sin, for giving me new life, for filling me with your Holy Spirit. But today, you may also, as you take communion, think about, is there someone I need to make things right with? Lord, is there someone you put on my heart that I need to phone up and say, hey, Sorry, I, I think you got something against me and I just want to clear it up. 
Or maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Or perhaps you need to take the peace that Christ has given you and you need to think about how do I step into the world? How has God asked me to engage in this world and being a peacemaker? Because far too often we're too silent. And we, may, we don't contribute to the problem by what we do. We contribute to the problem by what we don't do. I was challenged a couple of years ago. Uh, we were at an event and we had invited uh, Chief uh, Kenny Blacksmith, who uh, was from the Cree Nation here in the, uh, see if I can pronounce this right, uh, Mistassini uh, Nation in Quebec, or the reserve in Quebec. And Chief Kenny Blacksmith was one of the key people who worked to bring reconciliation among uh, uh, different First Nations groups. And then he was the guy who was a key player in the, the, the apology that, that uh, former Prime Minister Harper signed, I think in 08. So Chief Kenny came and, to- and spoke to us. Uh, it was a church planters retreat in Ottawa, and uh, there was about uh, 200, 250 of us there. Um, and he spoke to us because he's calling for the church to be the people who help First Nations people actually deal with their issues in Canada. And then this is what he prayed over us. He said, I thank you, Father, for what you are about to do through your sons and daughters who will rise up this day and become change agents. And he was talking about all the pastors and spouses who were there that day. Who will become the anchor and, uh, to the instability in this nation and the shalom that is much needed. May we begin to see Canada as you see it to embrace all the peoples of our nation. That's what he prayed for us that day. And you can apply that to First Nations or every other other ethnic group that's coming to Canada. I'm the son of an immigrant. I'm the only one in my family born in Canada. So immigration sits dear to my heart. Uh, My sisters are from South America. My parents were born in the Ukraine. And so incredibly grateful to be raised in this country. But Kenny embraced what Paul wrote again to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12, and we'll end with this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The call on us is to give justice to the Lord, is to live in peace between us and God and us and each other. And this morning, my invitation as you come to the table is to go, God, Perhaps it's, God, thank you for what you did for me. Or maybe if you've never done that, as you take communion, you say, God, I'm putting my faith in you today through your son, Jesus. Or maybe, Lord, who is it that I need to make things right with? And if it's no one, that's fine. Or it's perhaps saying, God, how do you want me to step into this world as a peacemaker? There's so many issues. Cultural issues, racial issues, more than we have time to list. God, what is it that you would have me do? to give away what you've given me. Peace between me and my creator so that I can reflect the reality of my dad and demonstrate who he is to this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for making peace with us possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. But frankly, sometimes I wish you would have left it there because being a peacemaker is not easy. It's uncomfortable. 
and to walk into these relational issues with other people, Father. I know we need grace and strength and wisdom. And I pray for each person here today. For those who don't know you, Father, I pray that they would embrace the peace you offer them. For those who live in conflict, Father, I pray for the courage to walk into those relationships to live out peace. And Father, for those you are calling today to be agents of peace in Canada, I pray for the courage to step into those difficult situations and to trust you to guide them in their words and in their deeds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.